0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. A spearfishing campaign against Ukraine has been traced to the so-called Luhansk People's Republic. Anonymous threatened to rain chaos on Yorkshire if Julian Assange isn't freed. Actually, more chaos since the initial chaos was perhaps too easily overlooked. An implausible venture capitalist is asking people if they're being paid to badmouth a security firm. And pirated Game of Thrones episodes carry malware. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, April 17th, 2019. Military officers in Ukraine are being spearfished by a group seeking to install the Rat Vermin backdoor. Rat Vermin is a second-stage payload delivered by a PowerShell script. FireEye, which identified the campaign, links it to the Luhansk People's Republic. This is a region in eastern Ukraine controlled by Russia and represented by the occupiers as being a breakaway state that's won its independence from Ukraine. Kiev regards Luhansk as nothing more than an administrative fig leaf for Russian occupation. Kiev probably has it right. The Washington Post sees the Luhansk operation as a troubling harbinger of small state and non-state actors deploying increasingly sophisticated cyber weapons. In this, they're following FireEye's lead. The company's John Holtquist told the Post that, quote, "...we're focused on the big players and for good reason." But we should bear in mind that if this small sub-state can put together a hacking capability, then anyone can." Quote. Maybe, but with hacking, as has so often been the case with kinetic terrorism, while there are genuine instances of attackers operating quite independently of other support, there are many more instances of attackers working deniably on behalf of a state. That's especially true with the more troublesome and damaging attacks. FireEye did say it found no evidence that the Luhansk Group was being assisted by Russia, but here that old chestnut that absence of evidence isn't the same thing as evidence of absence should be kept in mind. And to ask if the Luhansk People's Republic is receiving assistance from Russia is a little like wondering whether Google receives assistance from Alphabet, in both cases they're wholly owned subsidiaries. So, alternatively, this aspect of the campaign might be more realistically viewed as a Russian attempt to achieve plausible deniability, and not as a small-group breakout into the big time. Here's an example of what looks like small-group activity. Contrast it with the sophistication of the rat vermin installation campaign. Supporters who wish to stand by Julian Assange are doing so by taking two Yorkshire councils' websites down. Presumably, the attacks on Barnsley and Bedale would prompt a groundswell of hacktivist pressure in favor of Mr. Assange's release. Barnsley Council said it had indeed sustained a distributed denial-of-service attack and that it had succeeded in restoring its website. The council also alerted the National Cybersecurity Center of the incident. The Bedale matters were a little different. The Bedale Town Council said it was unaware that anything had happened to its site. So go figure. Anywho, needless to say, someone has claimed responsibility for the incidents. Tweets from the Philippine Cyber Eagles and the anonymous España both claimed credit. And CyberGhost404, thought to be the founder of both groups, if indeed these are groups in any meaningful sense, offered a menacing message. Quote, free Assange or chaos is coming for you. End quote. So there. Why Yorkshire was chosen as the beachhead for this particular hacktivist invasion is unclear. In the case of Bedale, apparently nothing happened at all, unless, of course, that particular corner of North Yorkshire is ordinarily so chaotic that any new chaos that came for you, for them, was just lost in the sauce. But it looks like another hacktivist fizzle. And, of course, Mr. Assange remains in custody. But to return to the spearfishing campaign in Ukraine, FireEye's Hultquist makes a good point later in his interview with The Post. He noted that Russia's hybrid war in Ukraine has been a kind of proving ground for attack tactics and techniques. The Post quotes Hultquist as saying, It's created this consistent battle rhythm of activity that we'd never seen before. End quote. Russian cyber operators have a record of perfecting their method against Ukraine and then using them elsewhere, and that does seem beyond serious question. But as a sign of increased capability on the part of unrecognized microstates and others with axes to grind, we'll wait and see. If Sealand or the Republic of Awesome turn out the lights in North Yorkshire or change every high schooler's grades in Union County, New Jersey, that would be a different matter. Moody's Investors Service recently published research titled Credit Implications of Cyber Attacks" Will Hinge on Long-Term Business Disruptions and Reputational Impacts. The report outlines which business sectors they believe have high-risk exposure to cyber attacks. Derek Vidala is Managing Director of Global Cyber Risk for Moody's Investors Service.
1: So we view cyber risk as event risk, and so we recognize that there are now these global cyber events which have real dollar value impact. If you look back to 2017 in Petia, there's a view that that was about $10 billion of exposure across a number of different companies with about $2.5 billion really focused on just four companies. When you start to think about these kinds of very uh, large financial impacts across individual companies, you can start to think about how that affects overall liquidity and other financial strength of those individual companies and how that could eventually have an impact on credit. And so that's the way we're thinking about it is these financial exposures due to cyber events can have a channel to credit at some point if they rise to a certain level. And have we
0: reached the point where there's enough history with these sorts of things that, that we can make accurate predictions?
1: I think we're still in the early days of being able to use historical event data to make predictions, but that's obviously something that a number of different industries, including the insurance industry, are very focused on. But the data set that exists for this uh, is not quite as as long and rich as data sets, for example, on normal types of cat risk or, uh, you know, other risks associated with, for example, weather events. Uh, We do think that this data set is building over time and it will get better over time, but there's still work to be done. For example, a lot of the um, data sets really focus in on breaches of privacy information because that's where a lot of the regulations exist. And the, and the, the disclosure requirements around cyber events tend to focus today on breach of personal information and that means that the data sets often are missing things like disruption events or or maybe there are disruption events that that occur but they're not they're not attributed to cyber events and so in order for the data sets to improve the disclosure has to improve and it has to start to cover events beyond privacy breach events
0: now the research uh, covers uh, some specific sectors that you all see as having a high risk to cyber attacks. Uh, who are we focusing on here?
1: Yeah, so when we, we did our analysis, what we came back with is that there are four sectors with about $12 trillion in rated debt that we thought were uh, at a high risk. And these included the banks, uh, securities firms, and market infrastructures, You know, financial institutions, uh, and also included hospitals. And uh, some of the reason for that, for example, on the financial services side is the fact that these organizations are so reliant on technology and supply chain their transaction volumes are very very high and so the ability to do things like revert to manual processes in those industries is very very limited uh hospitals for example um have a lot of personal data uh, but more importantly they're starting to become even more interconnected in terms of patient care uh, which obviously opens up a number of potential uh vulnerabilities that could affect patient care and and impact uh, patient health. I think one of the things that's important to point out here is we're really looking at the inherent risk across the 35 sectors that we evaluated, and we're not taking into account today individual defenses that an individual company might have, and that's important for us because what we're trying to do right now is really set a baseline across the playing field and come up with a relative ranking of inherent risk across sectors.
0: That's Derek Vidala from Moody's Investors Service. The research is titled Credit Implications of Cyber Attacks." Will Hinge on Long-Term Business Disruptions and Reputational Impacts. The Wipro hack may have targeted dozens of the company's clients. The company initially put a brave face on reports of the breach, poo-pooing the first reports from Krebs on Security during its recent earnings calls. But it now acknowledges that, yes, the attack did take place— It's bringing in an unnamed forensic company to help with its investigation. Several media reports have said that the incursion appears to be the work of a nation-state and that the targets were WePro clients. The IT outsourcing and consulting firm was itself more avenue of approach than target. This may represent a trend as intelligence services begin to take a growing interest in managed service providers. The AP is reporting on another suspicious questioner, one Lucas Lambert, who said he was a venture capitalist and wished to talk with the think tank about a cyber conference Mr. Lambert said his firm was organizing. His questioner, Chatham House Russia specialist Kier Giles, was struck by the way conversation all turned quickly to whether anyone was being paid to badmouth Kaspersky Lab. A couple of other things struck him, too. For one, Mr. Lambert claimed to be based in Hong Kong, but seemed to be as unfamiliar with that city as, say, a Manhattanite might be unfamiliar with Seacaucus. For another thing, he kept asking Giles to speak up and repeat himself, to the point where Giles thought he might ask whether he ought to speak into Mr. Lambert's pen or necktie or briefcase or wherever else the microphone was secreted. And for yet another, he thought Mr. Lambert's suit looked too cheap to be one a VC might wear, Kaspersky Lab didn't respond to the AP's questions about whether they had anything to do with the inquiry. The AP is reminded of a similar approach to the University of Toronto's Citizen Lab by one Michel Lambert back in February. In that case, the microphone looked as if it were in Monsieur Lambert's pen. Monsieur Lambert was interested in finding out why people were slandering controversial lawful intercept firm NSO. NSO said then they've never heard of Monsieur Lambert. So are Lambert and Lambert the same mug, or maybe related? The general take is that they're the kind of P.I. who appeared as a second or third banana in a Bogart movie, usually played by Elijah Cook Jr., and rarely successful at getting the girl or cracking the case. We hope there really are two of them. They'd be like Thompson and Thompson, Dupont and Dupont in the original, We always like those two detectives in the Tintin comics. And finally, Game of Thrones fans. When you watch, watch properly, and pay for your premium channel. It's giving you value, right? Pirated copies of the new episodes are out and about, Zscaler warns, and many of them contain a subtitle file that contains malicious code, specifically a remote execution exploit. And if you download one of those, spoiler alert, winter is coming. And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the vice president of engineering and cybersecurity at Webroot. Uh, David, it's great to have you back. You all recently released some survey results that tracked artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, what did you find out here?
2: ML AI, it's, it's very close to me. We've been spending ten years plus doing machine learning at Webroot, um, so we have very strong opinions. And this survey, it just, it, it it's interesting to me, where we we talked to a lot of our uh, customers or or people in the industry, and 76% of the people we surveyed said that it didn't matter if their protection included AI or machine learning. But then 70% said they wanted to see advertising that said you used AI or machine learning. Oh, so wow. I, yeah, I'm not exactly sure where the connection there is. And what, what I think is, you know, I go out to the MSP shows and things like that, and I talk to folks. I think the feeling is if you're doing AI and ML, then, then you're perceived as being technically advanced and, and really forward thinking, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in the product they buy from you.
0: Huh. That's fascinating because, uh, I, I mean, certainly we've seen, at, like you say, at the trade shows, uh it's all over everything what an interesting gap there
2: well it is and you're exactly right when you say it is all over everything and i think a lot of times people lose sight of the value that artificial intelligence and machine learning can bring and they're more interested in seeing that it's that it's available and i think what we need to do as an industry not as the producer but as the consumer understand what value that the ml or ai is going to bring to you not just is it in there because um, a lot of folks see that they see the hype and and they just run with it where if you really understand the specifics um, where it's helping where it's not helping that's how you can really make a, a judgment if, if it's something valuable to the product you're buying
0: and what about the, the sophistication of the tools themselves are people Are you finding that folks are comfortable using these tools?
2: Well, from from our perspective, as a consumer of our solution, shouldn't even know if it's AI or ML. So Mm. you could be using it and have no idea that you're using uh, any type of machine learning environment because it should automatically protect, it should automatically remediate, it should automatically do everything for you um, as much as possible. Now, there are tools that uh, you have to be interactive with and and those tools uh, de- have varying levels of complexity and knowledge that you have to have. So it really depends on the tool um, and and what you're using it for. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you know your
0: marketing folks would probably like you to install a little red blinking light that lights up every time the machine learning or artificial <laughs> intelligence is being used, right? Um, yes, and I and I hope <laughs>
2: none of them listen to this because then I'll be having my engineers put a little blinking red light and wondering why they're doing it. Right, <laughs> but right. You're absolutely right. Dude. Yeah the other side of it? Are are we seeing that the bad guys are making use of this stuff as well? You know, there's a huge belief that the bad guys are. We're not seeing as much of it that correlates with the belief that they are. Machine learning is very sophisticated. There are non-machine learning methodologies that you can use to attack machine learning models that that take less sophistication and less complex uh, techniques. And there's, as we said, the whole tried and true items as well of, of types of cybersecurity attacks that are more simple. So if you don't have machine learning on the machine protecting you, you know, those, those methods are good as well. Where am I going with all this? If you're a cyber criminal, you're going to use the stuff, you know, already path of least resistance. Now there could be some cyber criminals out there, you know, large ego, they want to really, you know, use some advanced techniques, but those are very, very few. Most people are just opportunistic. So again, We're not seeing a lot of it, but it is in existence, and and I'm sure over time it'll start growing.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you could have a, the most secure uh, or the most sophisticated security system in your home, and somebody can still throw a brick through the window.
2: D- this is exactly what I tell people <laughs> that the, that the cyber criminal who wants to steal your TV isn't going to hack your 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 network infrastructure. They're just going to kick in your front door and take your TV. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it's interesting stuff. Uh, it is uh, the Webroot AI ML survey. Uh, And you can find that on the WebRoot website. David DeFore, thanks for joining us.
2: Great being here, David.
0: Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security, And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too.